Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining back here with us for a brand new series, actually, called Hear Our Cry. Really, uh, the whole idea is we're going to be taking a look at the biblical practice of lament. And I think that this is really necessary, actually, for all of us, even if you're not a follower of Jesus or not. Because here's what I think we're really good at in the West, specifically not only the Western culture, but also the North American church. We are really great at touting our own success. We are really great, actually, at spinning narratives of victory and triumphalism. We are, in some ways, if I can put it this way, we are addicted to narratives of success, actually. But here's what we don't do so well with. We actually don't do so well with naming and sitting and suffering, with naming and tragedy, or even, honestly, just saying that sometimes life just sucks. How many of you can maybe just even say amen to that, right? That sometimes life just sucks. It isn't always easy. It isn't always good. It isn't always perfect. And this is why I really truly do believe that we need this biblical practice of lament. Because what lament does is this. Lament is about crying out to God when things are unfair, unsure, difficult, and unjust. And I think, if you're honest and you look at our world today, can we not just agree with this? That our world right now is broken, it is unfair, it is unjust, it is uncertain. This is why we need the biblical practice of lament. And so over the next few weeks, this is what we want to enter into, actually. We want to enter into learning about lament, what it is, how it can lead to hope, and how I honestly believe it can change your life. Because I believe that this is true for all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. That the way that our world deals with difficulty is this. It minimizes, it denies, it spins, it distracts, it numbs us from real difficulty. But can we just be real with this? That stuff doesn't work. Right? We need a different way, and what I think we need then is the biblical practice of lament, where we show up to God with whatever we are facing, whatever we are feeling, and we invite him to speak to us in that space, and where we actually speak back to him in that space. And so the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. And to do this, we're going to be exploring a book that I think some of you likely have never read. I'm sure that many of you have never actually heard a sermon series on it. It's the book of Lamentations, actually. So over the next uh, five weeks together, we're going to be taking one chapter a week and really diving deeply into it. It's going to be a little bit nerdy. There's going to be some new ideas, I think, for many of you that are actually very old ideas. There's going to be some stretching and some convicting, but I really believe it will be necessary and it will actually lead to hope. Because I believe that lament truly practiced, that lament leads to hope. And I believe that right now, can we get an amen on this? I believe that right now our world needs some hope, amen? It does. It needs some hope. I need some hope. But the way you find hope is not by skipping past the dark, difficult parts in your life. It's by finding God in the midst of them. And that's the biblical practice of lament. So I want to invite you to really explore this book with us. It might be new. It might be different. But I think it will matter. And I think it's going to be helpful. And I think it will be really changing and challenging and convicting and all of those things. And so to begin, I want to begin by actually giving you a definition of lament. And this definition comes from Dr. Soon Chang Ra, who wrote a book called Prophetic Lament. And I should be upfront and acknowledge this. Um, his book, Prophetic Lament, is the reason I'm preaching this sermon series. That book, it absolutely, like it convicted me, it challenged me, it changed me. I want to invite you actually to go and read it, to buy it, because I'm going to be quoting from him significantly throughout these series. And then I'm really excited, actually, in a few weeks, he's going to be preaching to us here at Bethany, which I think will be wonderful as well. But here's how he defines lament in his book, Prophetic Lament. He says this, he says, lament is an act of protest as the lamenter is allowed to express indignation and even outrage at the experience of suffering. This is what lament is about. You're actually allowed to express indignation and outrage at the experience of suffering. The lamenter talks back to God and ultimately petitions him for help in the midst of pain. He says this, so the one who laments can call out to God for help. And in that outcry, there is hope and even the manifestation of praise. 
That's what lament truly practice does. I actually believe it leads to hope and even to praise where you cry out to God with whatever it is that within you. And this is what we want to explore over the next few weeks. How do we practice lament? And so as I said, we're going to be grounding ourselves in the book of Lamentations. That's why we watched that video to give us some context for it. So if you have your Bibles, um, let's stop kind of talking about lament and let's explore it a little bit. Why don't you open them up to Lamentations 1, verse 1, and you might even need to take a look at your table of contents to find the book, okay? And so what we read in Lamentations 1, verse 1 is this. And here's an example of lament. Uh, It says this. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once she was queen of all the earth, but now, now she is a slave. It says this, that she sobs through the nights, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is none left to comfort her. All of her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been left, uh, has been led away into captivity, oppressed with the cruel slavery. She lives now among foreign nations and she has no place to rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she now has nowhere to turn. This is an example of lament. And as you can see from what I've read, lament at times can be quite dark. It can be even quite brutal and graphic and it's quite um, just really honest and vulnerable. And that's what we see. And here in this passage, we kind of get some of the context that that video helped us understand. Here's what's going on. It says this, that Jerusalem was once so full of people is now deserted. She was once queen on all the earth, yet now she is a slave. Here's what's happened in history in the context of what's going on. At one point, Jerusalem and Israel and the Jewish people were a mighty force. They were a great people, as it says. But what's happened is they've been conquered. They've experienced exile. They have experienced real difficulty. There's been a foreign force that has come in and essentially wiped Jerusalem off the face of the earth. What would happen in situations like this is this, that when a foreign power would come in and conquer another nation, what they would do is they would take away anybody who was educated, any of the upper class, anybody essentially who they thought could be a threat to them. They would deport them. They would take them away in exile. And then what they would seek to do is they would try to indoctrinate them into their ways. We can see this very clearly in the book of Daniel. That's what happens to Daniel, actually. And this is what's gone on to Jerusalem. All those people have been taken away. Anybody who'd be a threat for them. So what's left then in Jerusalem is all the people that the empire believes are not a threat. All the people that the empire believes they don't matter. So we have women, we have elderly, we have children, we have the frail, the sick, and the hurting. That's all who is left in Jerusalem. And we're actually going to hear from them. Because the book of Lamentations, it actually isn't just one voice or one narrator speaking. It's actually a multiplicity of voice, voices. For sure, there's a narrator who um, I believe and many scholars believe is Jeremiah, who is a part of the city. But what Jeremiah does is he collects actually other voices and he gives them uh, a space to speak. And we can see this in chapter one itself. So we are introduced to Jeremiah as the narrator. He's the person that we read uh, writing in the very beginning in verse one. But then if we look in verse nine, we're gonna see a shift that all of a sudden it shifts from the narrator to the city speaking, to a new voice, to a different voice that speaks in a bit of a even more personal way. So we read this. This is the uh, narrator speaking. And she defiled himself, speaking of, uh, of Jerusalem, with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Then listen to how the language shifts. She says this, Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. See, it's a new voice. And here what is happening is the city of Jerusalem is being personified as a woman. And she is speaking, she is crying out. She is sharing exactly where she is at. We hear more from her in verse 11. We hear this, oh Lord, look, she mourns. Look and see how I am despised. Does it mean nothing to you, all who pass by? Look around and see if there's any suffering like mine, which the Lord has brought on me when he erupted in fierce anger. 
And so what happens in chapter one is we start to see a shift actually from the narrator and the third person to the city and the first person. And here's why this shift from third person speaking to first person speaking matters, okay? Because third person clinical observation always falls short in tragedy. That someone trying to just be objective and distant and just share the facts when you're going through something, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. It falls short. It actually leaves you feeling hollow. Sung Che Ra puts it this way. He says, in contrast to the impersonal narrator who maintains an emotional distance, the personified voice of Jerusalem draws us into a more direct experience of the suffering and the shame that accompanies suffering. Instead of an impersonal, abstract idea of the city, we encounter the sense of a very real suffering by a very real individual. And I think, if you're honest, most of you kind of get this, and you've likely experienced this. If you've ever been through something that can be described as really tragic or difficult, some really deep places and difficult times, I think what you would probably likely recognize, and that I have as well, is that third person, dispassionate reporting, kind of observation of facts, of just telling you how things are, that doesn't help. I'll give you an example. Uh, when my dad died, obviously, um, it was quite a difficult period for me. Uh, my dad had battled cancer for many years, and eventually he passed away. And I can remember standing in the visitation line for hours upon hours and hearing basically the same things again and again and again. I can hear many people telling me, don't worry, this is better now. He's in heaven. Don't worry, like, this is God's plan. God is in control, and all these other kinds of things. And, I know it can be super awkward in visitation lines. I too have said really silly and then sometimes stupid things in visitation lines. But none of this actually helped, actually. This kind of clinical third person kind of distractions didn't help. Do you know what did help? Is there was somebody who came up to me, and this is all they said. And they said it so directly and it was so surprising. They just said, This blank sucks. And you can fill in the blank however you want because, you know, I'll leave that to your imaginations, okay? But that one moment of real, raw, honest, like depth, that was more healing to me than all the people sharing with me some trite kind of observations about things. Because when you're in real lament, when you're in real tragedy, when you're in real difficulty, you need, follow with me, you need the language that is used, like the words that are used, to match the depth of experience that you're going through. That's what you need. You need the language and the words that are being used to match the depth of experience that you're going through. And we see this in the book of Lamentations. Because the Book of Lamentations, it uses graphic even, like really explicit or raw kind of language. Let me read to you some more from this first chapter and about how brutally honest the people name what's going on. Listen to this. It says this, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated, and all she can do is groan and hide her face. Like, this is graphic, isn't it? This is explicit. This is actually quite raw. This is very personal. And in fact, that line there where it says this, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. Do you want to know what many scholars believe that is? That that's a reference to the rag that women would use during their menstrual periods. And I know that it might be shocking for you to hear that the Bible mentions that, but that's the entire point. That when you go through something shocking, you almost need to use shocking language to actually convey the depth of the emotion that you're going through. That's what lament teaches us. That you use language that matches the depth of what you are feeling and what you're experiencing. Just listen to how the city speaks. Here's more examples of the city just speaking so honestly, so raw, so personal, not hiding things, not vaguely gesturing at things. Listen to how the city speaks. Oh Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. Does it mean nothing to you, all who pass by? Look around and see if there's any suffering like mine. Look around and see if anyone suffers like I am right now. 
She says, he wove my sins into ropes and hitched me to a yoke of captivity. The Lord sapped my strength and turned me over to my enemies. I am helpless in their hands. Listen to how she speaks, how honest she is. She says this, for all these things I weep, tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. And any who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future for the enemy has conquered us. My children have no future for the enemy has conquered us. This is the kind of deep, raw, and even maybe I could put it graphic language that lament uses. Lament uses personal language to really share what's really going on. Lament never turns a blind eye to the actual difficulty, suffering, and tragedy that you face. Lament names it. Lament enters into it. And this is why I wanted to preach some of the series. Because when I think when it comes to talking with God, especially in prayer, I think we need to expand the register of how much we talk with him and what kinds of things we say to him. I think it's okay if we can use language of doubt and confusion and anger with God. I think we need this. Because I absolutely believe in forgiveness and healing and resurrection, that the God who before us is greater than anything that we face, that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. I absolutely believe this, except in the seasons and the spaces when I don't, when doubt overcomes trust. And this is why we need the language of lament. Because all we are taught to think about and to talk about in our culture is about triumph and success and winning. We need the biblical language of confusion, of doubt, of crying out to God, of anger, of wondering, where are you? We need this kind of language. If our faith is ever to become more than something that is shallow, hollow, and ultimately, I think, false. And we see this kind of language so clearly in this book of Lamentations. In fact, the very first word of the book of Lamentations, in chapter 1, verse 1, it hints at the difficulty and the difficult language. The word in Hebrew is called eka, and what it literally means is alas or how, right? That's one of the ways you can translate it. This is why the NIV translates the very first verse this way. It says, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. And that's an okay translation, but Lamentations is poetic, and really, the word has so much deeper and better resonance and range than that. More dynamically, we would say, how tragic, or how come, or even better, this is how it should be translated. How can this be? That's how Lamentations begins, with Jeremiah crying out, oh Lord, how can this be? You can almost picture him just sobbing and almost being unable to get out those words. How can this be? This is how Lamentations begins. But the problem is, is that we never begin like this in the West, right? We never say, how can this be? We jump onto solutions. That's what we do. We don't talk about real tragedy and sitting with it. We deny it and never seek to acknowledge it or just skip past it. This is our problems. We need to actually be able to begin where Lamentations begins, with saying, how can this be? Because as I've preached here before, I truly do believe this, that without naming, there can be no healing. That without naming, there can be no changing. And so the prophet Jeremiah begins this entire book with really this cry to God, how can this be? And then it continues throughout the entire book. We see this when we read verses like this. She who once was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once she was queen of all the earth, now she is a slave. Jeremiah is asking, how can this be true? How can this be? Or we read the city crying out, for all these things I weep, tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me, and any who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future, and for the enemy has conquered us. Or really what she is crying out is, how can this be? That's the place where lament actually begins. It begins with this cry of how can this be? And it's that cry that allows us to then enter into lament and to find God even in lament. So what's my main point this morning? My main point is that we honestly need lament, and we need to courageously name things. That's the beginning of lament. That's my main point. That we need lament, and we need to courageously name what we are facing. 
I think in our world, it is difficult, it is broken, there's a lot of uncertainty. Can anyone just be like real with this? There is so much uncertainty in our world. And what I think we need is to not deny that or to minimize it. What we need is to actually enter into it and to name it to God so that then we might find hope even in the midst of it. I think we need the practice of lament in our lives. I think it is forgotten. I think it is missed. And I think it is one of the most countercultural, most necessary practices that we need in our day and age today. But I also know that for many of you, this entire sermon and this entire subject and even this entire concept might be absolutely brand new. That we don't do lament in the West and we certainly don't have sermon series on the book of Lamentations, right? Like this is not normal. I get that. And I get that for many of you, this entire sermon series might be coming out of left field, actually. Um, I was talking with my wonderful wife, Krista, um, about this series. And she turned to me, this is like even last night, she turns to me and she says, Andrew, you think in COVID, when people are just plain angry, when people are just fed up with everything, when nobody is feeling good and everybody's unsettled, you think now, Andrew, is a good time to introduce to people a practice they don't know one that forces them to name all the weight that they've been carrying and all the darkness around them, both within them and around them. You think now is a good time to walk through this. She said to me, she's like, shouldn't you be just preaching something fluffy and light? She actually turned to me at the end of our whole conversation about the sermon series, and she said to me, you know what, Andrew? This may be the single stupidest idea you have ever had. And you've had a lot of stupid ideas. In our relationship, uh, there's a lot of honesty, and that's a good thing, and that's not a bad thing. But ultimately, through wrestling with it, even last night, we were still talking it over, we both came to the conclusion that, honestly, we believe that this is needed. And here is why. Okay, here's why. Because I believe you have likely tried the world's path of denying, minimizing, distracting, or numbing from the difficulty you feel, and it doesn't work. It just flat out doesn't work. What I think we need is a different path, is the biblical path of lament, of saying to God when we're in difficult spaces and uncertain spaces and unsure spaces, this is where I'm at. Where are you? That's what we need. And I want to suggest to you that this can actually change your life. Because can we be real with this? All of us are living in uncertain times. The world around us is broken. It is sinful. There is so much injustice around us. We need to learn to lament so that we can move through it, name it, and hopefully see transformation in the midst of it. But that will never happen while we're busy denying it or not acknowledging it. So practically, what does this mean for us all? Well, today, in all honesty, today is just the intro sermon. This is just the beginning. We have like a lot more to go over. There's a lot more passages and a lot more I want to read to you. But today, I do want to give to you three steps to maybe start to take on this path of lament and what it might mean and what it might look like in your life. Because I really do believe it's absolutely needed. And the three steps are simple. They are read, name, and listen. And these are just the beginning. We're going to be getting into this so much more, but I want to invite you to read, name, and listen. First thing I want to invite you to do is would you I want to challenge you in this. Would you read the book of Lamentations? I think we need to get comfortable with scriptural language. But the problem is, is that if we don't sit in scripture, if we don't immerse ourselves in scripture, we won't get comfortable with it. So I want to invite you this week to read the book of Lamentations. It's only five chapters. So you could actually read the book every day this week or read one chapter a a day and you'd be done by the end of this week. I want to invite you to really just settle into Lamentations so you can start to learn this biblical practice that so many of us is foreign because we haven't been taught it and we need to. So that's the first thing. Would you read the book of Lamentations? Second thing I want to invite you into, I want to invite you into naming, actually. Would you actually name, of course, in safe places to safe people and trusted people, would you name some of the things that you are carrying? Would you be able to say those words, how can this be that Lamentations begins with? And then name some of the weight, some of the difficulty, some of the things that are just hard for you in this season. I think this is the place to begin with lament. We say to God and to those people we trust, how can this be? 
I want to invite you to really use personal language, even raw language. Again, Soon Che Ra says this. You should honestly just go buy his book. He says this. He says, lament is honesty before God and each other. Come on, that's so good. Lament is honesty before God and each other. If something has truly been declared dead, there is no use sugarcoating that reality. That's what he says, that if something is truly difficult or dead or dying, there is no use sugarcoating that reality. And this will likely be hard for some of us. Because I think in our culture, in our day and age, we don't do courageous naming well. You know what we do? We do vague gesturing at things. So people ask us, how's it been? And we say, well, you know, like it's been hard, it's been tough, we're getting through it. Rather than saying the honest thing, you know what, this has been like hell and we have no idea what's going on. Like we don't name those kind of things, but we need to. That's actually what goes on in Lamentations. The writers and the speakers and the voices, they name exactly what they are feeling. I think we need to if we're going to practice this. Because if I can be honest with you, which I always seek to be, if I can be honest with you, the last few weeks and months, it's been heavy. It's been heavy in so many ways. There's so many parts of things where I'm just like, how can this be? That I've been crying out to God. How can this be? And so in the spirit of all that we seek to do here with grace, vulnerability, and discipleship, you know this, but I really have made the commitment to never ask you to do something that I'm not personally willing to do. So in the spirit of courageous naming, what I'm going to ask you to do with your family and your friends to really name the weight you've been carrying, here's some of the things, here's some of the things that I've been carrying the last few weeks where I've been crying out to God, like, how can this be? How can it be that people are valuing their politics and their tribalism above the unity of Christ? How can this be in the church? Where what Jesus died to bring together, people are dividing and splitting over. How can this be? How can this be that in the church, we do not name our complicity in killing and stealing the land from indigenous people? And I know so many of us, we want to say, but that happened way back when, and we are completely oblivious to what is happening today. How can it be? How can it be? How can it be? That there are, how can it be that there are white Christians who support racism and deny white privilege? and deny the very fact that they are ignoring the hurts and the cries of black, indigenous, and people of color. How can this be in our world, in our churches, and in our churches all around us? How can there be this? These are the cries that I've been crying out to God the past few weeks and months, the things that have been just so heavy on my soul. But as I said, I don't believe that there can be any healing or any change without actual courageous naming. And I know, I know some of you you would rather I not specifically name things and say things. I sometimes feel that way too. But that's not the path of lament. And that's not the biblical path that God calls us. That's not being faithful to the scriptures, where what we do in biblical lament is courageously name what is happening around us, within us, and we bring that all to God. That's what we need to be doing. That we don't need to deny or minimize or spin or just try to pretend everything is okay. That's what our world does all the time. We have a different path, a more faithful path, a narrow path, of naming to God courageously what it is we are carrying. So what do you do this week? You read the Bible, you read Lamentations, you courageously name the things and places that you are holding weight. And then the third thing you do is this, you listen. You listen to the hurts of others. You listen to the hurts of other people, what they name. And when people share their hurts, here's what I want to invite you to do. Do not try to fix it, do not try to minimize it, just simply sit with it. Because think about this, when we read Lamentations, what are we doing? 
We are simply sitting with the pain and the hurt of someone else, and we are hearing it. And I think that this is what we need to be doing. We need to learn to listen more and deeply. Remember, especially in the book of Lamentations, you want to know whose voices we are listening to? We are only listening to voices from the margins. These are not people from the center stage. These are people who are forgotten and who everyone else says don't matter. These are the voices that we need to listen to so much and so deeply. Because I just truly believe that unless we listen to the voices of the oppressed and the marginalized, there will be no justice. Justice begins there. Not with us seeking to fix things, but beginning with listening. That's the path of lament. Again, Sung Chang Ra, he says this, we worship at the altar of the latest and greatest American evangelical icons. This is so true. He says this, who regale us with their stories of exploits of their cutting edge ministry. He says, our ears have been tuned to hear the call for successful pastors who will go out and conquer the world with muscular Christianity where celebration exists without lament. He says this though, and this is the part I want us to hear. Meanwhile, we ignore the stories of suffering and oppression oftentimes the voices of women oppressed by their own communities. We have deficient theology that trumpets the triumphalistic successes of evangelicalism while failing to hear from the stories of suffering that often tell us more about who we are as a community. So this is what I wanna invite you into this week. This is my challenge. Would you, would you read, would you name, and especially would you listen to the hurts of other people? And as I said, I know that this can be heavy. I know that this can be difficult. I know that this can be challenging and stretching and convicting in some ways, but I absolutely believe it is absolutely necessary because I believe that when you practice lament, it leads to hope. It leads to life. It leads to Jesus Christ. And I believe that we need more of that than ever, but we don't get to those things if we skip the difficult part, if we skip uh, moving through what God has called us to do. An amazing theologian, um, an African theologian named Emmanuel Cantongole, he says this, he says, the resurrection of the church begins with lament. And I believe we need resurrection. I believe we need revival. I believe we need so much more than we are experiencing, but it begins with lament. It begins with this. It begins with reading, with naming, and with listening. This is what I wanna invite you into over the next few weeks. And we're gonna explore this deeper, and we're gonna explore this more, and I really do believe that this can lead to new life if we practice it. So today, Today, can I challenge you to do this? Would you read, would you uh, listen, and would you name? And then would you join with us over the next four or five weeks as we continue walking through this in a biblical practice you might not have ever known existed, but I believe we all absolutely need. Would you join with me in prayer today? God, I just pray. I pray, might we have the courage to actually follow through on this biblical path of lament? I pray, Lord, will we saturate ourselves in Scripture? Will we listen to the voices that you have given to us in Scripture? I pray, God, then will we have the courage to name some of the weight that we are carrying, some of the difficulty that we are facing. And I pray, God, especially, will we have ears that are tuned to listening, not to trying to fix, but instead to truly listen. I pray you would lead us through all of this. Because, Lord, right now our world is broken. It is unjust. It is unfair. It is uncertain. It is divided and polarized. And we need a way through that. And we need you. So would you help us find that? Would you walk with us and we would be obedient to all that you call us to? And we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And so to close our, series to our sermon today, uh, we're going to have a passage and a time of lament, actually, just personally. And we're going to invite you to just sit and to listen to that in this moment. <laughs>